0: Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. So, we're, um, in theory, this is the last in the series that we've been doing on evangelism. Um, I don't even know whether you knew we were doing a series on evangelism, uh, but we have been from about the beginning of May, and where we've talked about sowing and reaping and stuff, and if you remember, we've got our our, our, our names in the baskets of people that we're praying for. Um, I still think there are more names to be added to this, but what we're going to do today at the end of the talk, so I'll just warn you in advance, is... Um, I managed to get hold of some of these things, Winsome, or Winsome. And uh, it's, uh, it's something that's been organised by, I don't know, some organisation, <laughs> uh, Crossing London. But it's really good, because what it does is it basically allows you and encourages you to put the names of people on here who you are praying for. And that that you can name them, and you can say, and it says you're to look up, pray to God, you're to look out towards your friend, you're to look forward and invite them to something, and you're to look after them when they get saved. um, And I just thought it just fits really well with what we're trying to do. So at the end, uh, but I'm probably going to try and include it in the service, because if I do it at the end of the service, we won't do it. Uh, But after I've finished talking, but before the end of the meeting, so you won't be discharged... We're going to take these and we're going to put some names on the people we know and also just put some names on of people in here. And I'm encouraging you to carry this around with you, to pray for people regularly. So we take what we've got in there out of the Sunday morning thing into our own personal prayer, prayer life. And, and you'll understand, hopefully as I talk, why I think that's really important. But that's hopefully what we're going to do at the end. And I'm encouraging us to do it. I know some of us might not, but I'm, I'm encouraging us uh, to do that today. So when we began this series on evangelism, I, I probably need to apologise. I don't know if he's in the room. Steve Goulds. I need to apologise to Steve because Steve often helps me put together series. And, and we talk and I've prayed and we come together. We, get, we go for a coffee. We get our Bibles out and our commentaries. And we're just trying to work out what should we preach on. And then he goes away and he does lots of work on it. Yeah. And he did that for this series, and I think we've only done two of those talks, Aww. so I apologise, Steve, we've only, he did all that work, and then, and uh, I realised, you know, I, I, I mocked Phil the other day, because Phil doesn't quite always preach what, you know, I'll say Phil <laughs> preached on Lamentations, and he'll preach on Psalms or something, um, because God led him that way, well, I've done that to Steve, Steve had all these passages, and, and I'd agreed them with him, and then I just preached on other things, so I, I, I apologise to you for that, Steve, um, But really all I knew was that we had to focus on evangelism. Quite what the talk was meant to be was almost, I discovered, immaterial. It was the focus of um, us on people outside of ourselves because we can sing some wonderful truths and hold our hands up high and we can leave church feeling really uplifted in our spirits and We can go back to our homes and our neighbours are struggling and they don't know what to do. And we're just too busy to talk to them. Yeah, We would love them to be saved. We would, I'm sure. Um, I doubt whether there's one person in here who would honestly say, I don't want anyone else to be saved. I'm quite happy with the numbers of the believers. We would all want people to be saved and added to the church. And yet in reality, what do we do about that? And so I was thinking, because we'd done this series on evangelism, and if you remember, one of the first things I talked about was evangelism begins with prayer. And uh, we're about to go into a series over the summer on prayer, and we've got different people who are going to speak into that. And I was trying to think, okay, evangelism and prayer, I wonder if there's a way. How do I link those two things? I, I remember thinking that. And then a friend of mine gave me this book, Prayer Evangelism. And I thought, oh, and even the other day, he gave, he gave me this book a while back. And I remember sitting at my desk the other day thinking, how am I going to link evangelism and prayer? Hmm. What am I going to do? And then I looked around my desk and, oh, there's this book, Prayer Evangelism. And so uh, uh, that's been really helpful along with other books that I've read and prayers that I've prayed and scriptures that I've, that I've come to. So this morning, I'm going to talk about prayer Evangelism. And so if you've got a Bible, but it should come up on the screen, we're going to look at Luke chapter ten. And we're just going to go a little bit into this idea of prayer evangelism. So Luke chapter 10. Ah, right. I'm not sure. Am I reading the same? Yes, I'm reading the Amplified. I do still read the NIV, and I do have an ESV, but I'm reading the Amplified. Now after this, the Lord chose and appointed 70 others and sent them out ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to come, that is visit. And he said to them, the harvest indeed is abundant, there is much ripe grain, but the farm hands are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no provisions, bag, no change of sandals. Refrain from retarding your journey by saluting and wishing anyone well along the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this household peace being, freedom from all the distresses that result from sin be with this family. And if anyone worthy of peace and blessedness is there, the peace and blessedness you wish shall come upon him, but if not, it shall come back to you. And stay on in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the labourer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house, Whenever you go into a town and they receive and accept and welcome you, eat what is set before you and heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come close to you. It goes on to say, And if they reject you and you wash, you know, brush the dust off your feet, still say to them, The kingdom of God has come. The fact that you haven't believed it, the kingdom of God has come. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you, and Lord, you know, because I prayed before, I want to thank you for your presence with us. God, you know I don't take that for granted. You know in my heart I don't take for granted the sense of your presence. I don't take for granted um, that you would be here. I don't take for granted the revelations that we have. But God, I'm so grateful for them. I'm so grateful for them. And so I pray this morning that you would be upon every word that I speak. I pray that you would give me the courage of the convictions that you've given me. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Just a couple of things to say uh, about the beginning of this passage. It, it, legitimate, it tells us that we should pray for workers. And that's a legitimate pray, prayer for us to have And it's probably a regular prayer that we should pray. And we've talked about workers and we've talked about the crowd. We've talked about people that that go down into Brixton Tube as as being part of the crowd and that some of the crowd are the workers that God is calling to work into his harvest field and we're to continue to to pray for them. And then we've talked about the names that we've got in our basket. They're potential workers. They're not just people who get saved and love being saved. They're workers that God will send into his harvest harvest field. And we are to pray for workers. And, and workers can be other Christians who might join us. And sometimes as churches, we can get really, really caught up with um, other Christians joining the church and, and all those types of things. I mean, in, in my last church, I was, I was responsible for all the new people that would come into the church. And, and uh, there were hundreds of them. And I was responsible for sort of um, finding a way of um, I dare, dare I use the word, processing them through because they came in their, in their numbers so that they could find a place in the body. And we spent loads of time on that. I spent hours and hours on that. I used to go and train people on that. And, and that was great. But what we also needed to do, and maybe do more of, and most churches need to do more of, is really pray for those that aren't yet saved. And reach out to those that aren't yet saved. Because, you know, um, it doesn't happen so much now. The, these days when churches get planted in places, places welcome them. But th- there were there were times gone past where you would plant a church. Say, you'd, you know, I, I remember hearing the story of someone who went to plant a church in Oxford. And um, he was going to plant a church. And, and the, the churches there were like, you know, we don't need anyone else come in. You know, there's enough of us. And, and, uh, and, and his point was, yeah, but there's still like... There's like 100,000 people that don't go to church. I think there's enough for all all of us. If we focus on the right people, not just focus on the people that might move between the churches, let's focus on the people that don't yet know the church even exists for them. And so, you know, you come to a place like Brixton, there are loads of churches, but my goodness, there are loads of people... (laughs) And those people are not, they're not looking to go into churches, they're not knocking on doors. The only queues you really see in Brixton, let's be honest, are for the club that's just down here. You know, you can go to the Hoot Nanny. there's often queues outside there. Yeah? There aren't many queues outside the churches. So there's room for more churches who are going to preach the gospel and look to Jesus. And it's important for us to pray for the lost, and so prayer evangelism is, it has this idea, simple idea, that you talk to God about your neighbours, your friends, your family and others that you know before you talk to them about God. That you bring them to God first before you, bring, um, before you talk to them and try and, and encourage them to sort of reach out to God. And this passage gives us four really simple steps to this approach of prayer evangelism. I just love the idea of prayer evangelism. And I don't mean the idea of when I pray, I'm asking God to help me to be more bold, to give me opportunities, to be more courageous. I'm talking about prayer being the evangelistic tool. Prayer is the evangelistic tool. Prayer isn't just a means by which God makes me bold. Prayer is the means by which I evangelise. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about prayer evangelism. And uh, in fact, Yasmin and I, we were talking about you know, evangelism this morning. And, and I remember when I was, well, I was a younger person, a younger Christian, um, so she, she said, So, Dad, are you an evangelist? And I said, Oh, no, I don't think so. I said, But when I was younger, I would do what you do. I'm not as successful as, as Yasmin. But I would tell people about Jesus. It didn't matter who they were. It didn't matter where I was. Yeah, I would tell them. I remember running a, and, a, and I'm, I'm, I'm describing it, I'm bigging it up here, an evangelistic campaign. That sounds really big for a Christian union doing things where they invite their friends. Yeah, um, when I was at Sixth Form College, and uh, I remember some of my friends becoming Christians and praying for them on the streets. I remember doing those types of things, but but I could make it sound like I was really like really good at that. Yeah, and, and I wasn't really good at that. Yeah, but I can make it sound like that. Um, because I was young and I was, I, was, I was sort of enthusiastic for God. I wanted to see people saved and added. And many of us are like that. But as, as we get older, um, you know, we sort of take on a slightly different sort of persona, really. Um, although someone who is genuinely evangelistic, do you know what they don't really change? Not really. So, so I would say one of the gifts I would say that Pauline and I have, and maybe I've forced it upon Pauline in some ways, is, is the gift of hospitality. That's one of the gifts that I, that I think we have. And that occurred whether, when we were in our one bedroom flat and now we're in our four bedroom house. Didn't make any difference. Yeah? We never ever do hospitality based on the size of the space. Yeah, We did it because we just did it. That, literally, we didn't even think about it. I remember us having about 15, 20 people in our one bedroom flat with our two girls there. We slept on a sofa bed in the lounge. And it, didn't, it never even occurred to me that, oh man, this is a bit tight. a bit squashed here, how how do we do this? I remember when we used to run uh, the 20s group um, uh, in our last church, and we'd get 30, 40 young sort of 20s come into our house, and we had one of those barbecues, not quite the really small one, but like a a 1999 barbecue from Sainsbury's, and I I was catering for 40 people. It didn't occur to me that that didn't work. Yeah? It didn't even enter my head and, and I wasn't very good at it. And I just remember standing there trying to cook the burgers and it was all la 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 la. It didn't even occur to me that, oh my goodness, I should have thought about this before. I should have planned it. It didn't occur to me because, because hospitality wasn't something that, that I did because I was able to organise myself. It was just what we did. Yeah? That was what my mum was like. It was just what she did. And so when you have a gift, that it functions regardless of your circumstance. And so when you meet people who are evangelistic, it's not just that, you know, if you give them a, you know, train them, they'll do stuff. They're always the same everywhere. Even in a church like King's, which is like 1,000-plus people, if you go to the Alpha Course, the Alpha Course is fueled by about three people. Yeah? There's about three, I think it's women in the church, who bring most people every term for the course. Yeah? There was one woman who, when her two children were baptised, had 70 people from the school in the service. 70 people. And it wasn't that... And, and you know, you can imagine if you thought, seventy, how would I get 70 people to church? I would just be too embarrassed to even... Uh, you know, where she was the sort of person who would say, are you going to come... She would come up, are you going to come to the... Bat-? And you'd like want to go, no, but she's in your eye, she's in your face. <laughs> Are you going to come? Okay, I'll pick you up tomorrow. Uh, Yeah, okay, you're going to come. And then then almost pulling you out of your house. But you know, some people can do that and get away with it. Other people can do that and you're like, oh my goodness me, who do you think you are? But this woman got away with it. And 70 people I remember coming. I remember some of them being there thinking, I don't want to be here. (laughs) How did I get into this room? I don't even believe. But when you're an evangelist, you do that kind of thing, and you're not, you're not trying to offend people, and they, they get that. They get that. So you get people to, you know, we're talking about whether I'm an evangelist, and I'm saying, no, I don't think I am, because I'm not, I'm not quite like that. I think I'm enthusiastic and keen, and I, I also think that, I think to myself, look, do you know, if in the end the church can't reach out, what the What's the point? <laughs> Well, you know, there is something more than just us coming together. So this idea of prayer evangelism, I've got these four steps. I'll just tell you what they are and then we'll run through them quickly from that passage that I just read. The first step is this, to speak peace to people. Secondly, to fellowship with them, to take care of their needs and then to proclaim the good news. And to be effective, these four steps... They're interconnected, but they're also implemented in that order if you're going to be most effective and most fruitful. You you don't start taking care of people's needs until you've spoken peace to them or over them. You don't start proclaiming the good news until you've fellowshiped with them. Now, we often reverse the order, don't we? And the first thing that we want to do is witness. The first thing we want to do is tell them about Jesus. Yeah, that's often how we do it. But you'll see as we go through why that order isn't necessarily the best approach. It's not necessarily the best approach. So, the first thing is to speak peace to them. And this is uh, where the passage talks about you know, you go into a house and you speak peace, peace to them, or blessings. And you open the door to unbiased fellowship. Speaking peace and blessing is to pray peace. So you can pray over anyone. You don't need to know them to pray over them that they would be free from the distresses that result from sin. You can pray that over anyone. You can pray that their lives would be restored to how they're meant to be. You can pray. So if you pray peace to people, actually peace is a bridge for the gospel. When people are at peace, it's a bridge for the gospel. So you can pray for them in order that they know peace, that the gospel might spread. Last Thursday, I was at a prayer meeting in the morning. So I do every Thursday morning. And there's a, there's a girl that started to come to this prayer meeting, and I don't know her very well, from another church. And, and, and she always says things, and i always like, oh, no, what do, I, what do I think about that? What do I think about that? Anyway, the other day, she said, um, she said, oh, oh, can we just pray? She said, can we pray because... Uh, there's, a, there's a building down in Brixton. Uh, I don't you, there's a building called uh, um, Joy. It's a shop down yeah. there. And above it, recently, uh, some squatters have gone in. Yeah? Some squatters have gone into this building. And obviously, my natural... And and, and they've put signs outside saying, um, you know, this place is a homophobic-free, a racist-free zone. Yeah? So, and, and, uh, you know, that that's what they've put... On the outside. And, and this girl was saying, I just wonder whether we can, we can pray for those people. Huh? Uh, you know, because I, I'm assuming that because of some of the things that they're saying on the outside, that, that maybe some of those have, have suffered in those ways. Now, I, I'm being honest, my natural tendency is, they shouldn't be there. <laughs> What are they doing squatting in that? That's illegal. You can't like squatting in buildings. That doesn't, what, what does that do? Yeah, that's what I'm going up inside of me. And I'm praying for. No, I can't pray for them. I found it very difficult when she said, let's pray for those people. And I found myself, I was battling with judging them. I was battling judging them. She was saying, and she was like very, oh, I think we should just pray for them. And I thought, oh my goodness, how, does, how does she do that? <laughs> how does she be so free about it? And I could see as, she, as we sat around, the rest of us are like, yeah, okay, what do we do here? You know, I could see that we were thinking that way. And I realised that if I learnt to bless people, to speak peace over them, the freedom from the distresses that result from sin, the restoration of things as how they're meant to be in their lives. If I did that more, I would judge them less. I would judge them less. Because it, it wasn't about... And I, and I remembered, oh, actually, Jesus, you seem to meet people's needs before they ever changed. You didn't wait for the change and say, okay, come on, come on, change, change, change. Bless you, bless you now, bless you. Change, change, oh no, okay, change, change. You, you didn't wait for people to change before you blessed them, before you spoke peace into their lives, before you spoke favour over them. I was reminded Because those were natural tendencies that I think as a Christian, I was just thinking all these things. I was reminded that God sent his son into the world to save the world, not to condemn it. And there I was judging. I was judging. And judging became a hurdle to prayers. It became a hurdle. It became a barrier to me praying for them was the fact that I was judging them. And it just took me back to Jesus. Jesus who came full of grace before he came with truth. Full of grace and truth. Unconditional acceptance of people. I mean, there's that wonderful example, isn't there, of the woman who's caught in adultery, and they pull her out, and she's about to be stoned to death for her sin. And that was just, that was just according to the law. They weren't, they weren't being cruel, they were being just according to the law. They were going to stone this woman to death. And Jesus comes and he does two things. First of all, in front of them, he shows her mercy. By saying, okay, if you're without sin, you cast the first stone. And this is interesting because what it shows of these, these, these pharisaical people, these righteous people, is they're not evil people. They weren't standing there ready just to cast stones. They were doing it according to the law. They were doing the right thing. They weren't, they weren't being particularly vindictive, they were just trying to enforce the law. So when he says, he who without sin cast the first stone, they are not disrespectful enough to go over that. They know. Oh, okay, okay. We've not thought about it like that before. But what do they do? It says, from the oldest to the youngest, the oldest first to the youngest, they dropped their stones and they walked off. So he shows... Her mercy. And then he shows her grace. He accepts her. He says says to her, where are those that condemn you? And she says, Lord, they're not here anymore. They're gone. He says, well, neither do I condemn you. Then he brings truth. Go and leave your life of sin. So she's received mercy. She's received grace. Then he speaks truth. So often, we're taught to speak truth first. And it's almost like we want people to respond to truth in order to show them mercy or in order to show them grace. So, I'm encouraging us to begin to pray and bless people to speak peace over them regardless Because I think one of the things it will do is, you know, if you're a Christian and you've got faith, God answers your prayers, you must believe that. He answered your prayer for salvation, he will answer your prayers for, for people. So when you pray blessing, the passage says that if there is a person of peace there, if there is a receptive heart there, the peace that you pray over them, they will receive it. And I do think it stops us from being judgmental. Because I think that's one of our biggest dangers, is we can judge people. And so we need to learn to pray for people, pray peace over people, whoever they are, regardless of their situations. And that will keep us from judging them. The second step in prayer evangelism is fellowship. And the passage says that, you know, when you go to a house, stay in that house and eat and drink whatever they give you. So just go in and fellowship with them. Fellowship establishes relationship. It establishes trust. And those things are important because because so often we see that very, very, sometimes, not all the time, sometimes very enthusiastic Christians and and people who are evangelistic, they, they don't, they're not, you know, the fellowship, yeah, that's sort of important, but it's the gospel, it's the gospel, you know? All right, let me get to the gospel and that's the way that people are going to get saved. The fellowship, yeah, oh, yeah that might help, but, you know. And I'm saying, no, no, let's, let's turn that the other way around. Let's pray blessing. So I don't need to know the person to pray blessing. I just pray blessing. I just pray, God, would you bless this family? Would you bless this household? Would you bless this person? Bless their relationships? Bless their work, <coughs> In fact, I've started to do that in my work, just to pray blessing on the other businesses that are around where I'm working. And then fellowship. Build relationship with people. Again, it's interesting when Jesus called Matthew the tax collector. The first thing that Matthew does is he organises like a, a big party, a celebration and the first thing that Jesus does is he goes there. Yeah? And what's observed of Jesus is he goes to a place, the Bible says, where there are tax collectors and sinners. And he sort of just hangs out with them. All sorts of different kinds of people. And it's observed because the Pharisees are saying, why is he hanging around with the tax collectors and the sinners? And you would have thought that that is such an obvious mistake in the scripture that we wouldn't do that. That we wouldn't have a problem with people who hang around with people who are not Christian. That we wouldn't have a problem with people who hang around with people who seem anything but Christian. But but let's be honest, we do. So many of the church have a problem when Christians hang around with people who aren't Christians. It's like, what are you doing hanging around those? What's going on there then? Well, you know, and it just seemed a little bit Pious to go, what well, Jesus did that. Yeah, we, Jesus, us. Trying to follow him. But fellowship, hang around with people. So we've blessed them with our prayers. We're then just lit around them, hanging with them. We've got some neighbours. And Paulie and I have often talked about uh, these neighbours and, and, and sort of reaching out to them, we, we, clearly we get on quite well with them. But it's one of those, um, you know, it's like, a, it's like a, an outdoor relationship. You know, it's in the streets. Yeah, they live opposite and when we come out and sometimes we cross over and they cross over and we chat and Pauline feeds the animals that they've got. I mean, we could just get a cat and feed the cat ourselves, but Pauline feeds their animals. They have chickens and cats and various different things. And, so, and sometimes we get eggs and, and, and all of that. I realised, to my shame, that the main reason that that relationship hasn't developed is, is me, is us. You know, they're not sitting there, you know, completely full of their time, going. Oh, I don't really like those people opposite. You can, you know, like you could tell that if you really put in a little bit of effort, this this could build, and I could tell, I can tell, and I realised that the main reason it doesn't is because it's us. I mean, and I'm too busy praying about the idea of reaching people like them. Yeah? I'm too busy telling people how to reach people. I'm just too busy. Now, don't mishear me. Uh, I don't, I don't, and don't go to the place where you think, oh, you know, yeah, church, is too much going on in church for me to reach my neighbours. That's not true. Yeah? And in the end, your neighbours need the church if they're going to be disciples of maturity. So, so, so you do need that. But we can sometimes feel we're just too busy. And yet, and yet the God that we worship is absolutely amazing. So I remember chatting to the guy just outside and uh, we just had a brief conversation. But I knew from this brief conversation that there was something he was anxious about. I knew, yeah? I, I didn't need a huge amount of discernment. And I remember just sort of, you know, chatting, nodding and walking away. Yeah? <gasps> yeah, I did. <laughs> And I realised that for most of us, and some of us would go, do you know, I don't get I many non-Christian friends, I don't, get, you know, don't seem to get time. Often it will be priority. I remember talking to a guy in our prayer group, in my prayer group, I remember him saying, oh, I think my neighbour, who we see occasionally, I think that if I gave more time, we'd spend more time together, if I did that. So often it's us. You know, you can. If you want to, you can do that. You can just say, oh, why don't you just... Why don't you just come over? And, and it's partly, one of the reasons we don't do it is because we don't know, how do, I get, how do I get to tell them about Jesus? I can't even think how to do that. So I have to wait until I can think how to do that before I can get them around. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah, we can sometimes think like that. How do I do? Do I get the Billy Graham video? Do I get my favourite evangelistic friends over? What do I do? What do I do? And we can make it very complicated. We can overcomplicate it because, in the end, what we're trying to do is tell them. Because if I can tell them this truth, this is what will change them. So, one of the things that I've done is I've set myself a goal. You'll be pleased to know, and it's not a difficult goal. That we will hang with those neighbours because it's not. It's not a difficult goal. It's not like there's an impenetrable house opposite. And I've chosen the neighbours from hell over the road just because I want to see God, you move in the most amazing... It's not that, it's at all. It's more just a little bit of courage, go over and make an impact. Mm. I'll probably send you <laughs> Sorry, I, won't. I won't do <laughs> So having prayed, so the thing is to begin to pray blessing upon this family, this guy. Yeah? Well, I know, I know there are some things there. Just to pray blessing upon them. Pray the peace of God upon them. And then begin to fellowship with them. To hang with them. And then the third thing we're to do is, is to pray. And, and the passage says, heal the sick. And yeah, we're praying for the sick later and all those kinds of things. But I, I don't want you to, to get confused with this. Because if you go, the passage says, heal the sick. Okay, from what I can see, my neighbours are very healthy. So I don't need to heal the sick there. So let me look for some other neighbours. I I think it would be okay to, to use that term, heal the sick, and think about, take care of their needs. Meet their needs. Pray for their needs. And that can happen in many different ways. You can, you can get to an appropriate moment long before you get to a moment where you can start explaining about Jesus and the cross and the resurrection and sanctification. Long before you get there, you can get to a moment where you can say, is there anything I can pray for you for? And what you're not talking about at that moment is for them to go... There is actually, and you go, right, <clears throat> right. hands over you. You're not talking about that kind of prayer. You're just saying, is there, any, is there anything? Is there anything you know, that you're struggling with? Anything that I can pray for you for? Yeah? Because very few people will go, no, no prayers, please. No prayers. In fact, we have to debug people here because most people won't ask for prayer Because they don't think God will answer prayers for people who don't believe in him. Yeah? And in some ways, that's a that's that's a logical thought. Because because would I extend favour and grace to somebody who kept abusing my family? (laughs) Yeah? Naturally, you just think, of course you wouldn't. Yeah? And if, if that abuser then needed help, he's not going to come to me for help because he's abused my family in such a way that he's oh, this guy's never going to, you know, he's never going to reach out and help me. So people think, when they think about God, they think, and you say, oh, can I pray? Say, well, I don't believe in God. Yeah? And okay, part of that, oh, I don't believe in God, might be, well, and if I don't believe in him, it means that he doesn't exist, which means that he can't answer prayer. But a lot of it is actually to do with, uh, I can't ask the God who I don't know, don't believe in, I might even hate to to answer things, do stuff for me. And that's where you need to help them and go, oh, but I believe in God. And do you know what? I, God answers my prayers. Now we also know that God definitely answers the prayers of people who don't really believe in him. How many times have you heard someone say, and I hope some of them are telling the truth, and it's not just a cliche, um, when they talk about, um, I was on my knees and I prayed to God, if you're out there, show me. Some people pray that and it's real. I mean, there might be others who pray that and you know, or they say that and it's just like, that's a testimony thing. But for some people, that was real. If you're there, God, show me. And he does. And some even would say, I don't believe in you, but if you're there, show me. God responds to any amount of faith. That might be fragile faith, but he responds to faith. And so he responds to your faith. When you say to your neighbour or your friend, is there anything I can pray for you for? And do you know what you do then? Is you pray relentlessly that God will answer that prayer. That God will do that thing. That God will respond. It becomes a relentless prayer for you. I mean, there's that story, isn't there, in the Bible where it's the story of, uh, I think it's Bartimaeus, he's, at, he's at, the, at the beginning of the city of Jericho, and he cries out, you know, um, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And uh, all the people are telling him to shut up and all that kind of stuff. But in the end, he just shouts louder. And Jesus comes over. He's a blind man, right? Jesus comes over, and Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do? And he doesn't say... I want to have faith to believe. He doesn't say, I want to understand some deeper truths. He says, Lord, I want to see. That's my need. Do you know what? Jesus heals him. And it didn't take much after that for him to recognise who Jesus was. Jesus healed him and it's almost like the healing prompted the faith that saved him. It wasn't a big deal after that. Jesus didn't heal him and then go, okay, now let's sit down and talk about what's just happened in order that you can understand some of these deeper theological truths. you No. Know. Jesus healed him and, and later it says he believed in him and he went on his way rejoicing. So, having prayed blessing over people, Whoever they are, regardless of the situation, I'm not judging it, I'm praying for them. And I, I, and I think that's so important because I think that would change our natural tendency to judge. Um, so the more you bless people, the less you'll curse them. Having prayed blessing over them, having then fellowshipped with them where you can, and, and what that does, that just, that just breaks down barriers, doesn't it? So that becomes, they're no longer... Also, just as you fellowship with people, you grow compassionate towards them, yeah? And one of the things that we need is compassion for the lost. So we need to be around the lost to feel that compassion for them. And then we begin to pray, but we're just praying for their needs. We're asking questions. question, is there anything I can pray for you for? Anything. And then fourthly, having prayed, we proclaim the good news. The kingdom of God is near. We share the good news about Jesus. At this point, proclaiming the good news is easy because if you've genuinely prayed for somebody and that prayer has been answered, they're not necessarily running to you with theological questions about the existence of God. The blind man didn't have those questions. Even the blind man who in John 9 gets his eyes opened and he doesn't even pray about it. He doesn't ask anything. He's just sitting there, maybe blind, and Jesus comes along and they're asking theological questions. Who sinned? Why this man is blind? Well, no one sinned. It's that the glory of God might be displayed in this moment. He has his eyes opened and he is like, well, hey, everyone else has got the theology problem. He doesn't have the theology problem. And then at the end of that passage, Jesus says to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? You know, and it's me, I'm, I'm, I'm the Son of Man. And he, and, and, the, and he says to him, tell me who he is so I might believe in him. Faith wasn't difficult once God had met his needs. And we think about this, but sometimes I think about, we think about it in the wrong way. So when we do food bank, we're seeking to meet the needs of people in order that the gospel might be proclaimed. Um, but in reality, giving people food for most of them, that's not the need. Yeah? That's not the thing that's then going to bring them to the gospel. Yeah? There's a deeper thing. There is something else that's bothering them. There's something else that's hassling them. There's something else that if you ask them that they want prayer for, that you could pray and fast about and try and see God uh, break in. There's something else. It's often not food. Because if you meet someone's need in that way, theology in some ways goes out the window. Scientific questions go out the window. Yeah, Because they have had the existence of God proved to them. Oh, I had a need. You offered to pray. You said God answers prayer. And when you prayed, this happened. How, how does that work? Suddenly I'm open. I may have, had, I may have written a book about my objections to Christianity. And then in one moment, all of that goes out the window because God has answered a prayer. My need, the thing that I thought God would never respond to because I don't even believe in him, he's responded to. So tell me, what do you have faith for? Do you have faith that you can answer every question that people come to you with about suffering, about God, Do you have faith that you can deal with every practical need? Or do you have faith that God can perform a miracle in their life? Someone comes to you, they said, my marriage is on the rocks. You say, okay, there's a number of things I could do there. I could tell you about the marriage course. I could send you to some people I know good in marriage. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to make that a, a prayer point that I will really go for. Do you know what? I have more faith that God will answer my prayer than I do that I can answer their questions. I have more faith that God will answer their prayer that I could save their marriage. So you begin to see that prayer evangelism is actually praying into the needs of the person. That's what Jesus did. Jesus met people's needs. And having met people's needs, responding to him was easy. It was easy. The blind man wasn't even looking for God. When Jesus says, Do you know who the Son of Man is? Just tell me about him and I'll believe. Yeah? Just tell me. I'll believe. Phil and I were chatting about this the other day and he reminded me of when we were on the ALF course at our old church. And there was a guy and he had all sorts of questions. He was asking them week after week, question after question. You were like reading up in the week on the seven most common questions on Alpha. Do I know the answers to suffering? Do I know the uh, In the end, what got this guy was God just answered his prayers. He kept coming back going, Oh my goodness, I can't believe this happened. I, this happened, and then I prayed, and that happened. And, and that was what the thing that was getting him. He couldn't understand it. God, God's answering my prayers. Because what does that show me? It shows me that God is real. When God answers prayers, it demonstrates that he's real. So I don't need to read a book about the reality of the existence of God. I know he's real because when I pray, he answers. Secondly, it shows that God is loving. He answered my prayers. Why on earth would the God of heaven do that? Answer my prayers. Why would he do for me the very thing that I really desired? God is real. God is loving. And God can be known. Because what do you do at that point? You say, do you know what? This is how you know that God. That God who's answering your prayers. That God who's made a difference. Yeah, it's through his son, Jesus. Evangelism becomes easy at that point. Because it's not about how many verses I know. It's not about how many books I've read. It's not about how clever I am. It's not about whether I can write Bridge to Life. It's about introducing someone to someone who's already begun to move in their life. I want us to take this approach. So I want to encourage us as a church to take this approach of prayer evangelism, to pray blessing over people that we know, to fellowship with people, to to ask, is there anything I can pray for you for? I've not known anyone turn around and say no to that. And then, boy, do you pray. Boy, do you come to God. Fast if you have to. You pray that God will answer those prayers because actually it's in the answering of those prayers that the door of their hearts will be opened. So I'm going to pray now, and then uh, we're going to do those cards and, and use that, that's going to help facilitate us doing this. So let's just pray together, let's bow our heads, and let's just come to God. Father, I, I pray for um, you to bring revelation of some of these thoughts uh, to us as a church. I pray that you would put faith in our hearts to believe you. I pray that you would put um, perseverance in us that we can keep praying when we have to. And Father, that we won't give up. In a way, we're not... We're not praying that somebody is saved. We're praying that God answers somebody's prayer. And that through the answering of the prayer, you proclaim the kingdom of God has come. And it's that that saves them. It's that that brings them through. So you're not praying, God, save my neighbour, save my friend, save my sister. You're praying that God will answer a prayer, a need. So, Father, I, I ask that you would... Uh, help us with this. Would you strengthen us and fortify our spirits? Would you give us many people to pray for? And Lord, would we testify to many lives being changed? In Jesus' name. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.